Let me introduce our guest speaker today. Pastor Mike Lee, actually, I met just a, a few months ago. And through the House Church, uh, Church Association, Pastors Association. And uh, so we've been fellowshipping. And uh, pastors also, we're having a monthly, our own Pastors House Church Fellowship. And, uh, and then I was pleasantly surprised that he's actually visiting here. And so, and so I couldn't lose the opportunity. And then I found a few things about him that, uh, first of all, he is a Dallasite. He grew up here. And he went to Baylor. Is a Baylor Bears? Second Bears, where are you? All right, Second Bears, national champions. Yes, the Longhorns should be afraid. Anyway. Uh, anyway, and then he went to law school, and by grace of God, instead of going patent law, God called him to ministry. So he graduated from uh, Southwestern Seminary, been serving in the church in Dallas area, including Journey of a Faith. He went to South Korea to serve a church, uh, kind of a mega Baptist church. And then, uh, and then God, I mean, somehow God called him back. And then now he is a, a senior pastor of a Chinese Baptist church in Seattle. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the Chinese Baptist church, because I, when I, you know, he's a Korean American, he's a senior pastor of a Chinese Baptist church. So, kind of, you know, uh, and I was so impressed by the church's history. Uh, 1882, 1882, U.S. Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. And 1886, in Seattle riot, a lot of people, White people are attacking Chinese immigrants. And there is a pastor named Banks of a Baptist church in Seattle. When he heard that right after Sunday service, he grabbed the rifle, he rallied the people, he went out and joined the whatever civilian, you know, uh, a home, home guard, people called the home guard, civilian, you know, peacekeepers to protect Chinese immigrants. Not only that, the church decided to host them by teaching them English and sharing the gospel. And so, 1886, Chinese Baptist Mission was born. And 1902, that became a Chinese Baptist church. What a history. What a you know, legacy of the gospel. This is where you know, we should be, you know, the blood of Christ is thicker than any blood that we know. Amen. So he's not only from this uh, very historical you know, uh, church from Seattle, but much more, his church is also committed to house church ministry like us. So age-wise, we are about same, similar. Three, four years, we've been doing a, a house church ministry. You will hear more uh, about that from him. So we, I was so happy to find out that uh, you know, God, you know, they they share the same conviction that we have, which is to be a biblically functioning church, rather than serving people with our own idea or cultural norms. We want to be faithful to God. Okay, so 
now one of my, my our pastor's vision is that wherever our members go, especially in big cities, we want to plug them to the house church ministry church so they can continue to reach out to BIP and then exercise a new testament of biblical you know, evangelism through friendship and also grow spiritually. So now you know when you go to Seattle, what church to check it out. That's a they're changing the name soon. So they're no longer Chinese Baptist Church because they want to reach out to everybody. So he said that they're going to change the name. But meantime, you know, I hope you, know, you, meet, you, you talk to Pastor Mike afterward and they get more information. And recommend to some of your friends in Seattle area if they still not plug into house church ministry. Okay? Is that enough? So as a Pastor Mike come and share God's word, let's welcome him. Well, good to be back in Dallas. I am a Dallasite. Strange being back, though. Been in Seattle for about four or five years now, Pacific Northwest. If you haven't been there, nature-wise, oh, it is beautiful beyond imagination. But there's a lot of issues there, as, as those of you who watch the news. Uh, Chaz, if you heard of Chaz, <laughs> things like that autonomous zone, lots of protests, uh, lots of... Uh, LGBT movements uh, over there, you go there and it, it almost feels like a different country. Coming back to Texas, I kind of feel in some way, I think there's a missionary here that I, I briefly met uh, from northern Iraq, I think. And uh, it, it almost feels, I, I'm a Dallasite, but I, I just feel there's a, cha a great challenge here as well. Uh, up in the uh, Pacific Northwest, Seattle at one point was ranked the seventh most lost and unchurched city in this country. Um, you know, there's like New York and San Francisco above us. Um, and so there's a lots of challenges up there. Lots of churches are shrinking and dying. Uh, I even recently went to another church, First Baptist of Des Moines, Washington, and they had like 18 elderly people left with a decent facility and, and, and land. Uh, they're dying, and that's just a common thing that you see up, up north. Coming down here, a little more vibrant, but I think spiritual challenges, even though the churches may be a little more fuller, I think the spiritual challenge is still here, but in a different form. And I think I can say this because I've been a Dallasite for so long that as I come here and I was sharing with my wife, I think the challenge here in the southern, the Bible buckle, as they call it, is that uh, it's just kind of comfortable, actually. And I think that could be a plus, but it could be a, a blight or a curse to your spirit, that there's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of immediacy. Versus when I'm up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, don't tell anybody, but I actually carry a gun <laughs> into the pulpit and then just everywhere because it's dangerous in, in some ways. And it's just so unfamiliar. I'm always on guard. And... Christianity is being attacked from every facet of society. But here, I think the challenge is that I'm not that way. Just like the missionary. It's, it's, you're, you're, you just kind of fit in, blend in in, the, in this area, and you get too comfortable. And as I visited my friend and just see the lifestyle here, it just reminds me of how I used to live here in Dallas, that the pursuit is always to upgrade, have a little bit nicer car, a little bit nicer house, a little more bigger bank account, and that kind of becomes the, the objective of life. And then as long as I can carve out a section of my life for God in the church, then ultimately that's what we look for. We compare 
better vacation and things like that. So I think, you know, is that a bad thing necessarily? I don't think so. I think that's a blessing. But at the same time, I think we fall into this lull, spiritual lull. And I'm not sure if that's something that God wants his churches to be. So this is why I'm so happy to be here to share a message with you. I think, um, I think this message can be a kind of a double-edged sword. For some of you who are faithfully serving, you're going to be like, preach it, preach it, pastor. You know, preach it, preacher. Some of you who maybe maybe not there yet, but you'll get there. It's going to be a, a little sting. It's going to hurt a little bit. But I think at the end of the day, as Christians, and if you're a Bible-believing Christian submitted to God, we hear God's message as it is written. And whether we like it or not, as I tell my church member, it doesn't really matter. We obey it and we follow God's word. So I'm gonna give you a little disclaimer. I'm a lot harsher at my church because these are my sheep, but I'll try to be as gentle as I can, but I'm gonna be kind of blatantly honest with you because I know the lifestyle here and I know what the word of God says. Having said that, I never preach out of phone. Went to my sister's house and I said, do you have a printer? She said, yeah, like this morning. And then she said, but I don't have any ink. So I was like, that's like saying you don't have a printer. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So I'm kind of stuck to this little tiny phone that I downgraded to. I used to have a bigger screen. So I'm going to try to preach out of this, which is very unusual for me. And you're going to be seeing me kind of do this. I do apologize if that is distracting to you. It's kind of distracting to me. So having said that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read all 16 verses, verses 1 through 16. And at Chinese Baptist Church, after I read God's word, I expect God's people in a bold manner say, amen, after I read. So after I read, I'll say, this is the word of God. And if you would boldly say, amen with me, that would be appreciated. So let's go ahead and read this together. I think at this church, you guys use New, Amer New International Version 84, so I'll read from there. Verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, one, called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the work of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of God. Let's try that again. This is the word of God. Thank you. So if I were to ask you some simple questions, I think I mentioned how churches in general are declining. That is a fact. I've witnessed many churches, especially in the Pacific Northwest, just declining. Shared a little uh, conversation with Pastor Paul, and even this church over the years have been in a decline. And so that's not an anomaly, but I think that's just what's happening here. And I think part of the phenomenon of church declining in this country, maybe throughout the world, is that I think we have kind of sort of forgotten how to do church. We've forgotten what it means to be the church. So if I were to ask you here this this afternoon, I'm so used to saying morning, but at this church you worship in the afternoon. So if I were to ask you this afternoon that would you like to be a mature Christian, I hope and pray that every single hand would go up. And if I were to ask Pastor Paul and the leaders of this church and even the members, would you like to be a mature church in Plano? And I hope and pray that every single one of your hands will go up and be sincere about it. So ultimately, if we're going to be a mature Christian and a mature church, we need to figure out what do we need to do? Like, what does the scripture have to say for you as an individual member of FCC and as a church as a whole? What needs to happen? What is the biblical blueprint that we must follow so that we can be the church that Jesus intended us to be? And that's the challenge that I'm facing up in Seattle. It's, it's very difficult. And I think... Pastor Paul and I, you know, we will share more, but you know, running a church or being a pastor of, of a, any church is difficult. So I think ultimately we can't turn to human wisdom as, as the prayer was here. We can't turn to the ways of the world, but there's only one authority that we appeal to, and that is the scripture. And it is my hope that this morning through scripture right here in Ephesians chapter 4, we can rediscover or maybe remind ourselves how to be that church, mature church that Jesus wants us to be. So really here, there's three things that I'm going to draw out. You know, last week, I actually preached this sermon at my church. And it was really long. That, that was the feedback I got. And, and it was very stinging. I was calling people out left and right. And I was just saying all kinds of stuff. And people were just offended here and there, frown and scowl on their face. I mean, you name it. It was very interesting. But I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it short and just give you the essence and, and maybe perhaps focus more on the application. So there's three things that I, I would ask you to write down if you are taking notes. Three things. One, write the word live, live. Number two, write, write down the word maintain. And then number three, please, I'm sorry, is one is live, number two is work, and then number three is grow, those three words. And I'm going to try to fill in the gaps from there. All right, so you know, let's start with this. There's, there's really the first thing that the church, this church and every church that believes in the Bible and who, that loves Jesus needs to work on is first, Paul is calling us to live or walk in unity. That is so very important. You know, we take this for granted, unity. 
And we hear it so often in the church that it really doesn't mean a whole lot. But actually, unity in the church is so vital. If, if you're ever going to be mature, if this church is ever going to become a mature church in Plano that is actually going to make any difference, the very fundamental thing that you actually have to work on is maintaining unity. And here's why. If there is no unity, you will not accomplish very much. I'm not going to go as far as to say you won't accomplish anything, because <laughs> of course you will accomplish something, but you will never grow into a church that Jesus intended. That if you lose your unity, then there's really all these efforts are just kind of being under-maximized. So this is why Paul here, he's, he actually uses the word preserve, or I, I, in my own words, I would say maintain unity. Very important. You lose, you lose this, then it's going to be tough going forward. Pastor Paul is going to get more, more gray hair, and he's going to get exhausted and even more discouraged. So church, I want to ask you that if you want to be a mature church, that you have to maintain unity. And the way you maintain it is it's not something that happens automatically. It's something that you actually have to work on. It's something that you have to preserve, as NASB says. Because ultimately, unity is already here. Did you know that unity is built into the church? It's actually built in. But the problem is, is that people come together and we break up this unity that God has already established. So here Paul is saying, maintain, sustain, preserve, work towards unity. And when the church is unified, God is able to do so much more than we could imagine. So how do we maintain unity in the church? Paul tells us here that we must walk or live in NIV according to the ways of who Christ is. And he gives us three things right here. He says that we must walk in, in verse 2, if you look there, we must be humble or humility, you must be gentle, and you must be patient. These are the three Christian virtues that should be so prevalent in FCC. Are you humble? Are you patient with one another? And are you gentle with one another? And this is how you walk in a way that honors Christ and that brings unity into Christ. If you were to look at the negative and if you are not humble, if you are not gentle, and if you are not patient, it would cause great disunity in this church. So I would ask you to consider and ask yourself, how is my walk, how is my participation in FCC? Am I humble? Am I patient and gentle with one another? And then also here, we see a sevenfold Trinitarian foundation for unity given to us in verse 4 through 6. If you look in verse 4, Paul says, Our unity in the church comes from these seven things. One, we're one body, we're one spirit, we're one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. It's already baked into the church. Our job is to maintain and preserve it. If you don't do it, it's like marriage, right? If you think that you love each other and then you get married, I do, I do, you know, till death do us apart. Well, if you've been married more than a year, you know it's not automatic. Oh, does it take effort. Marriage takes so much effort to maintain your marriage so that it grows and flourishes. All you husbands, you know that, right? <laughs> All the wives are saying, absolutely, it takes a lot of work. And that much effort is required in the church. Christ has unified this church. All of these seven things 
are the foundations of unity, but what happens in a church? We divide ourselves in all kinds of ways. Ethnicities, lots of churches are built on ethnicity. I actually listened to Pastor Paul's sermon, I think it was last week, Beautiful Church, and I actually learned something. I did not know that Sam, Samwise Ganji was a lower social class than Freudo. I did not know that. But people, just like all the other worldly institutions, we divide ourselves in really nonsensical way. You know, at our church, as, as Pastor Paul said, you know, we are, I mean, we are a Chinese church, okay? We are Chinese in our name, in our history, we're Chinese. And it's really difficult to have any non-Chinese. Let me, let me ask you a question. If you were to come to Seattle and you don't know me and Pastor Paul did not tell you to go to my church and you saw on the website when you Googled it, Chinese Baptist Church, I mean, let's be honest. How many of you would actually come to my church? Yeah, exactly. Maybe one because he was a missionary. <laughs> He's open-minded. But churches, we divide ourselves by ethnicities. We divide ourselves by social economic stratus that you're in. There's rich church, poor church. And we come up with all these different ways, highly educated, not very highly educated way. And then we are gathering together in these groups. And then when you do that, what happens is you're kind of eliminating everybody who doesn't fit into those categories. And what happens? There's really no unity even there. The unity is not based on God, but it's based on human things. Even location, for instance, where you live. I mean, of course, if you're in Seattle, you can't really be a part of a church in Plano, but like some people literally determine what church they belong to by how much they have to drive, 30 miles, 40 miles. Is this the church that Jesus wanted? I mean, let's be honest. No, our unity is not found in human things, human criteria, human preference, human convenience, human divisions of skin color, hair color, how your eyeballs are shaped, where eyes are shaped, big eyes, small eyes, yellow skin, white skin, black skin. That is not the basis of the unity that is found in church. And Paul says, no, our unity is found in God. And it is incumbent upon the FCC members here to sustain, to maintain, and preserve that beautiful unity. And if you don't have unity, this church will not progress, at least not in the way that Jesus wants. So that's the first thing. So live in unity. Walk in unity, please. Do not divide this church. Pastor Paul, you're so blessed that you started this church. Whenever you inherit somebody else's church, so to speak, Man, it's a lot of disunity, lots of disunity. Everything's a fight. You know, at my church, just to give you an example, years ago, it wasn't this case, but if you just drive around Seattle, you'll see rainbow flags everywhere, right? It's not the biblical rainbow, but it's the LGBTQ. Now they say you have to add a plus at the end, okay? So LGBTQ plus flag, it's just everywhere, church steeple, uh, Seattle Cancer Center, Amazon building, you name it, it's just everywhere. It's shockingly everywhere, and they celebrate it. So at my church, we're not, we don't affirm, we're a Bible-believing church, and one day I saw a rainbow stitching. <laughs> I mean, it's not one day, you see it every day, it's like right there prominently. And I asked somebody, I was like, why is that thing hanging over there? This is, you don't want this thing. In, in Dallas, it might be okay, but not in Seattle. Right? You don't want this rainbow thing in this building. 
And then all of a sudden, I get this whole historical explanation of who knitted that thing and why we can't take it down immediately. And every little change, somebody's going to resist and fight, and they will literally divide the church over a stitching. Don't do that, folks. Don't do that. Maintain and preserve unity. Don't divide over carpet color. Don't divide over little things that don't make any sense. But will you just come together in God? That's what unites us. And I say this somewhat joking, jokingly, but you know, there's a lot of petty things we divide in church. Literally, it is so petty. And people say, I don't like Pastor Paul because of this. And you listen to them and it's like, really? That is petty. Some people say, I'm not going to go to your church because your pastor doesn't wear a jacket. Or how come the praise leader wears shorts? <laughs> I mean, you're laughing. I'm sorry, Mo. But there are people out there who will divide this church because you're wearing shorts. No, folks. Church should be united in God. Nothing else. Not preference, not convenience, not whatever, all these other nonsense, but in God. Will you commit to maintain unity in this church? Can I get an amen for that? Now, the second part is where it's really hard hitting. Okay, I'm going to warn you. So we must live in unity. The second part is we must work as a team, as a team. You know, I'm going to give you a little grief. <laughs> I unloaded on my church last, last week. I, I literally said this. You see, I'm receding hairline and lack of hair on the top of my head. I literally said, look, this is on you. <laughs> All the grief you've given me. I'm literally losing my hair because of you. Okay. So I'm going to be a little bit hard punching here to defend my brother, Pastor Paul. Okay, folks, listen. It is not Pastor Paul's job to do everything in the church. I don't know what it is with Christians, they think that they hire a pastor to do everything. And sometimes they come and say, this is why we pay you. So everything is expected of one person to do all the work of the ministry. But let me tell you, if you wanna do it the biblical way, if you wanna do it the way Jesus wants, you are actually the ministers. You have to work together not only to maintain unity, but you have to work together as a team along with Pastor Paul to do the actual work of ministry. He's not here to entertain you. I'm not standing here to entertain you. But for whatever reason, Christianity has come to a point where if the preaching is boring, you will leave the church. Or if your needs are not met, if your intellectual itch is not scratched, if you don't have certain types of snacks after the, meet, after the Sunday worship, or if you don't like the facility and it's all about, and then you throw it all on Pastor Paul. Blame everything on Pastor Paul. Why do you think our churches are in decline? We have church full of people who don't understand their role and purpose in the church, and then the pastors get beat up, burned out, and they quit, and then they, some forever leave the ministry. And then all the while, church is getting weaker and weaker. And then you start hiring pastors who meet your per personal preference of needs. And then the church keeps declining. That is not the church Jesus wants. If you look right here, 
In verse 8 through 10, Paul says that Jesus Christ, as a victor in the ancient Near Eastern world, whenever there's a general or a king who conquers the land, he takes all the spoils of that land. Gold, silver, diamond, precious jewelry, even people. Remember, Daniel was one of them, right, into the kingdom of Babylon. And then he has the authority and the right to spread out the spoils to those who are under him. And this is the metaphor that Paul uses, that Christ was victorious on the cross. He defeated Satan and sin and death. And now he has all these spoils that he's gathered as the victor. Christos victor. Christ the victor. And he has, what? Gifted the church. Look at this. I'm not making this up. He has gifted the church in verse 11. It was he who, he Christ, Christ has given, gifted the church, in verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So when you look at Pastor Paul, let me encourage you, don't look at him as an employee. He's not your employee. (laughs) Some of you look at him like an employee. We pay you, right? (laughs) No, he's a gift. He's a gift from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has gifted Pastor Paul to FCC so that he can work with you so that you're doing the work of the ministry, not him. If he was doing everything, I'm sorry, Pastor Paul, I don't think you're doing this, but if you're, if you're doing everything, you're an utter failure as a pastor. You know, some people say, you're only saying this because you're lazy. Seriously, some people actually say it. You only want us to do all these things because you're lazy. And this is what they say to pastors. You know how heart-wrenching that is? It's literally like you're stabbing us in the heart. Being a pastor is not easy. We give up stuff, all kinds of stuff. Our families suffer. Satan is constantly attacking us. We're losing our hair <laughs> over the difficulty that we face sometimes. And then people say, you, you're lazy. This is why you want us to do everything. But that's not the case, folks. Pastor Paul made tons of sacrifice. Him and his wife and family made tons of sacrifice to be the pastor here. And it's not, he's not asking you to do ministry because he's lazy, but he's asking you to do ministry because that is the only way this church will become mature and healthy and the type of church that can make a difference right here in this, in this city. If you don't do it, then who will? So we see it right here. I'm not going to go through apostle, prophet, evangelist, but I'm going to focus on pastor, teacher, because in the modern-day church, that is what we are familiar with. Look in verse 12. This is what Paul says, that, that Jesus Christ gifted Pastor Paul and his family to FCC to do what? To prepare. Look at that word, prepare. That Greek word in NASB is translated to equip That Greek word sometimes is used in medical term where where broken bones are set in place. That's used in fishing industry where they mend broken nets. So you are the tools of the ministry. You are the ones that Jesus has called to do the work of the ministry. And it is Pastor Paul's job is to mend, fix you up, to empower you, to place you in a position where you could actually do the work of the ministry. And if you think I'm pulling something on you, look there. It says in verse 12, to prepare who? God's people. You are God's people. So his job is literally to prepare you so that you can do ministry. 
In, in, in NIV, it says works of service. That's the same word in Greek, diakonos, deacons, to serve, ministry. You are the ministers. Have you ever thought of that? Each and every one of you, if you're a Christian, you are ministers. Pastor Paul is not the only minister in this church, especially you shepherds. You are literally functioning as a lay pastor in your house churches. And I wonder how many of us truly take that to heart instead of always looking to Pastor Paul to do everything, but to own it yourself and to say, I am a minister. Jesus called me into FCC so that I can serve and do the work of the ministry. I encourage you today to consider that. If you don't do this, things are going to go slow. You're going to be like the Israelites and the Hebrews who wandered the desert for 40 years, church hopping from one church to another church. Consumeristic Christianity. No, you commit to FCC. You serve here because you are the minister. And you serve one another. You preserve unity. And you figure out, and if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you go knock in on Pastor Paul's office and say, Pastor Paul, Jesus had called me here to serve and do the work of the ministry. I don't know what to do. Help me. And I know what he's going to say. Go to house church. <laughs> go to house church and you can do whatever you want. You can serve in any capacity that you desire. But it's on you, folks. And this is why I told you, some of you are not going to like me. And that's okay. Because I'm putting, I'm turning the table and saying, if this church doesn't progress, it's not Pastor Paul's fault, it's your fault. You're the one not doing what Jesus wants you to do. You're not serving. You're not sacrificing. You're not suffering. You're not doing what God has called you to do to build up this church to maturity. So those of you sitting around soaking and being it, you know, your itches are scratching all this, you know, whatever. Folks, it's time to grow up. <laughs> That's the title of this sermon. It's time to grow up. It's no different than the way we raise our children, right? This is how you know a mature from an immature child. When they're little and small, we don't make them do dishes. We don't make them change their own diaper, right? We don't make them cook. They'll burn the house down. But we do all that. We clean up after them, clean them, and we do everything. But then as they get a little older, we don't do that. What do we say? No, you need to pick up your toy and put it into the toy box. You need to learn how to brush your own teeth up and down, this way, and all that, right? And as they become more independent and they're able to now get to the point where they're cooking you meals on Mother's Day and Father's Day, and you're like, yes, we have succeeded, right? Independence. And then they go off to college and you're praying for them. You're hoping the best for them. And then eventually they get a job and they get married and you're like, yes, success. They're no longer asking me for money. <laughs> this is what we desire, maturity. We don't want our children, 30 years old, sitting in my basement in Seattle, we have basement, playing video game. Not cleaning up, not being mature. We don't want that, right? Well, this is God's household. This is the family that God had placed here on this earth. And in this household, we don't want that either. We don't want immature Christians to stay immature. But we challenge you, pastors, this is, this is our desire. Just the parents want our child to mature. Pastors desire our heart. It's not because we're lazy. It's not none of that. No, we want you to mature in Christ so that you're walking with him. You know, at my church, we're a historical church. that's 126 years old. We celebrated our 125th about five, six years ago. So if you, if you, if you wonder, what does an Asian church, what would it look like? 
in the future, you come to my church. We have fourth, fifth generation Chinese Americans in our church. And right now, some of you look Asian to me. You've been to some KM, EM, or CM ministry. Well, our church is about 50 years fast forward, and that's what it may look like in the future. The English congregation is the dominant congregation, and the Chinese-speaking congregation is kind of like the English ministry in the Korean churches. That's what it looks like. And if you look at our church, the demographics are like literally just, we got 96-year-old grandma that I baptized. She couldn't even get into the baptismal pool. And then we got babies. Huge, incredible amount of spectrum. And it's going to look like this someday. If FCC lasts that long, and I, I hope and pray you guys do. And you see here this vast spectrum, but... People are so different in so different way, and ultimately, you know, people come up with all kinds of reasons why they cannot serve. I mean, you, you can just literally just make the, and I've literally heard them all. And now my favorite saying in our leadership meeting is, no excuse. <laughs> I'm not taking any excuse. Oh, pastor, I got to take my, my, my son to a soccer game. Nope, not, I'm not buying that. Pastor, my house is too small. I can't do house church. Nope, not buying that. Pastor, I'm too old. I hear that a lot. I'm too old. I've retired. I'm not buying that either. <laughs> because Christ has given each and every one of you a role. Each and every one of you, he has gifted with a gift. And whether you're 96 years old to a, maybe a brand new Christian, 12 years old, I don't know. If the Bible is, is telling the truth, you have a role in this church. Nobody should be sitting and soaking. And nobody should be complaining. But you need to work with Pastor Paul, your pastor that God has called here. You know, one of the things that I hear so often at my church, and Sarah told me, please don't criticize our church. So I'm not. I'm trying not to. But one of the things I hear so much is people say things like, I don't agree with his vision. <laughs> I hear that a lot. I don't agree with the way he's running the church. I don't agree with his vision. And then sometimes I look at him and I say, what do you mean you don't agree with my vision? The vision of our church is basically the Great Commission. You don't agree with the Great Commission? And they say things like, well, no, I don't agree with house church. This is what I hear. They're so used to a certain way of doing church that they resist house church. So, so I asked them one time. I said, so what, 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 do you, what do you do? What have you been doing? Oh, we've been meeting in fellowship. What do you do in a fellowship? We study the Bible and we eat. How long have you met? 40 years. Some of you guys, not even 40. Well, they've been meeting for 40, 50 years. And I asked him, okay, so after you study the Bible, what happens? And they go, what do you mean? What do you mean what happens? We study the Bible. Okay, after you study the Bible, what happens? And they look at me and goes, what do you mean what happens? We study the Bible. This is what Christians are supposed to do when we meet. So I asked them, point blank. Okay, so you don't like house church. I get that. And you're used to fellowship. That's fine. Have a single VIP ever come through your fellowship in 40 years? And they look at me and go, no. So I asked them, so what's the point of meeting for 40 years and fellowshipping and talking about the Bible over and over again, singing songs of hymns, which is fine, but nothing comes out of it? 
You're not any more holier. You're not any more mature. There's no unbelievers coming through. It's just an inward-focused, selfish gathering. So you want to keep doing that? Like, what alternative do you have then? Because church doesn't exist for that. I'm sorry. And they push back. You know, even now with the whole DBA doing business as we're not changing our name, but we're actually... Uh, keeping our legal name as Chinese Baptist, but we're doing a doing business as you, those lawyers and business people, you know what I'm talking about, right? And even now I'm hearing all kind of stuff. Oh, no, we can't change. We're not changing. And they say things like, we got to maintain our Chinese identity in this church. And I go, no, this is not why the church exists. Church don't exist to be Korean. It doesn't exist to be Chinese. It doesn't exist to be any guy. Church exists to make disciples. Mature ones at that. So folks, who's responsible for all this? You. You're responsible. So if you're just sitting right, I'm telling you, those of you who just come on Sunday and you don't do anything except just sit through a sermon and then you go home critiquing Pastor Paul's sermon, let me challenge you, okay? It's not a rebuke, but a sincere challenge to have a lunch meeting with Pastor Paul in humility, in patience. Talk to him and say, Pastor Paul, I want to be a, I want to grow as a mature Christian. I don't know what to do. I'm not gifted here. Have that conversation. And I want to challenge you, stop sitting and soaking and stand up and start serving because that's the only way for this church to mature. It's not easy to listen to this, right? Because now it's not all about Pastor Paul, but it's all about you. How is your walk with Christ? How are you serving your brothers and sisters in this congregation? And right at our church, there's five things that I, I preach on constantly. These are the five inherent, intrinsic functions of the church. If you were to have lunch with me and you ask me, what do you think, Pastor Mike? Am I mature or immature? Because some of you don't know. And I will go through this five things. And you can figure out real quickly if you're mature or immature. Pastor Paul, do you mind if I do this real quickly? These five things are the five things that every Christian must do. And these are the five things that every church must do. First is serve. We use the acronym STAND in our church. S-T-A-N-D. Every Christian must stand on their own with their brothers and sisters. Serve. Are you serving? And if your answer is no, it's not a good start, right? And I'm not talking about serving and, and by just giving offering. Don't, you know, even in my church, they say donation. Oh, my goodness. I get so angry. I said, you don't donate to God. You donate to charity. They would say donation. So I had to tell my finance board, never, ever use the word donation at church. You bring your tithes and offering as worship to the Lord. <laughs> And some people think that's all that's required. No, you serve. Let me ask you this. Is there a position in FCC, corporate gathering for every person to serve? Probably not. And the more you grow, there won't be. You can't have 20 preachers. You can't have 50 praise team members, although that's, that's a dream come true for, for Mo and the praise team. So let me ask you, though, if, if you are supposed to serve, 
And the scripture says, even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve how much more we, slaves of Christ, ought to serve one another even more. So if you can't do it in the corporate gathering, let me ask you, where are you serving? And I'm not talking about you know, serving in habitat or humanity. That's not the church. <laughs> the church is right here at FCC. Where do you serve? In your house churches. Six to 12 people gather. And if you just make up in your heart that I'm going to serve you, Jesus, you go to house church, hey, you wash the dishes, you watch the kids, you, you do whatever is necessary, you can serve. And it's actually meaningful service. So ask yourself right now, are you serving? If not, then you can serve. Go to house church, participate. Second thing, T, train in the word and prayer. Fundamental spiritual discipline. How many of you have a devotional life? A consistent devotional life? Are you reading the word of God every day? Literally every day. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Bible is God's word. Are you eating and feeding your spiritual, your spirit? If not, you need to start. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, Pastor Paul, we have one. We can send it to you. I, I demand, I require. I, Pastor Paul is nice. I'm mean. I said, you better read at least once a year for the rest of your life, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, and do not die on the desert of Leviticus, I tell them. <laughs> there is a prom promised land after that. Devotional life, folks. Prayer life. I'm not talking about meal prayer, folks. Dear God, thank you for this meal. Bless us. Oh, do you actually have a prayer life every day? We have to train in the discipline of the word and prayer. And we, at our church, we started, I don't know if you do it or not, and I'm not telling you to, by the way, but, you know, after three years of, three and a half years, I guess now, or three years, a little bit over three years serving there, I've literally taken, I feel like, the church as far as I can. So I have corporate background. So I was doing project management, program management, Hewlett Packard. So I employed every human ability that I had to take this church as far as I can. And eventually I felt like I can't, I'm done. I said, God, this is it. <laughs> this is the best that Mike has right now. And I can't take this church any further with my own ability. And I was so convicted that I decided to do, for those of you Korean-speaking, and you ask a EM pastor to you don't get a very good response. It's desperate times. Your pastor needs to commit to prayer, and you need to as well. And right now we have like about 10 people come out to Sebekpito. And these people don't pray very much, honestly. Like they were never told to. So commit to prayer. Have a devotional life as a Christian. Third, A, adore. Worship God. Make Him your adoration in your life. I'm not talking about Sunday worship, folks. I have to keep reminding my people, worshiping God is not Sunday worship. It's only part. 
But Paul said that we ought to be a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, not a Sunday sacrifice, sir. But every day, every time you wake up till you go to sleep, you are created in the image of God to reflect God's glory. You ought to worship God all the time. Living sacrifice. Do you worship God when you go to work? When you raise your children in the Lord, are you worshiping God? When you serve your wife and husband, a beautiful reflection of Trinity, are you serving and worshiping God? Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, putting, pumping gas, so cheap here. Oh, I'm so jealous. Texas gas is cheap. I drive this huge truck too. Bad combination. Seattle truck, no. <laughs> Everything, you're a worshiper. And we call it neighbor. Are you a real neighbor? Are you neighboring somebody? There's a member at our church. After I started house church ministry there, introduced it, he resisted. He actually left our church. He was so not into it. He left, went to other churches, and then he came back, and then he wanted to have lunch. I said, why you come back? <laughs> I said, I'm not that nice. Pastor Paul is probably, my, why you come back? I said. <laughs> and then he said, you know what? I checked out these other churches, and man, your preaching is not as bad as I thought. And, my, and, our, and this church is not as bad as I thought. It's not that bad. And then he decided to finally, okay, let's work together. And then he, he joined the house church. And then a little while later, he came to me and said, Pastor Mike, I, I want to tell you something. I said, what, what, what do you got? <laughs> and he said, you know, I've been coming to this church for 40 years. And I thought I knew people, but I really did not know them. I knew their names. I kind of knew them superficially. But until I joined the house church, I had no real intimate relationship with anybody in this church after 40 years. And this brother served in leadership capacity. So let me ask you. You're supposed to be a household of God. You're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you actually know one another? Like beyond, hey Mike, how was the golf last week? How did your son do in soccer game? But I mean actually know them to the point that you are actually praying for their real problems in their life as much as you want to fake it, folks, you have problems in your life. But who's praying for you? Who's coming alongside you? Who actually knows you? Pastor Paul can't know you all. Too many. Studies have shown that maximum 50 is all you can know and it's not very deep. Jesus had 12 disciples and he lived with them, talked with them, he did everything with them. Teaching us that even in our circle, you can't really know more than 12 people. And that's stretching it. Do you know anybody here? Besides your spouse and children? Well, as a Christian, that is unthinkable. How can you not actually know anybody in the church? Right? So how do you do this then? How can you actually know somebody? How's church? You go to Bible study, you'll end up with, like, my church. You go to Bible study. 40 years of Bible study, but they don't know each other. They don't even know the scripture, actually. And they definitely don't necessarily obey it. They hide behind the Bible. 
They don't want to talk about themselves. They talk about the Bible. They talk about Jesus. They talk about doctrines. Oh, Pastor Paul, what do you think about predestination? Nobody knows nobody. So folks, you have to commit to relationship. House church is the answer. Is it the only answer? I'm not going to say it's the only answer, but at this church, that is the only answer. Because Pastor Paul's not going to do fellowship. Right, Pastor Paul? Are you going to do something else? All right. <laughs> house church is all you got. And then the last one is the toughest one, folks. D, D, like Dallas D, discipling, disciple. Are you a disciple maker? Are you actually reaching VIPs? When you go to work, your coworkers, the people around you, the VIPs, right? Are you actually reaching them? In your neighborhood, do you even know who's, your, who's to your left and your right? Because, you know, honestly, when Sarah and I were living in Flower Mount, we barely knew literally people who lived next to us for like five, six years. Barely knew them. No relationship. Are you actively doing the Great Commission? First, start in your home with your children. Don't assume they're Christian. They're not. <laughs> Recently at, at our church, you know, I'm discovering that people who came to our church for 40 years, they're just now coming to Christ. Shocking as that is. And I'm so thankful because you could be prideful and say, you know what, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I'm not going to listen to the gospel. But I feel the Lord's working and they're coming to Christ. Our members. 40 years. I've taught the Bible, they said. <laughs> VIP ministry, hard. All that you do. Don't forget the lost people. I hope and pray FCC will not be an inward focused church, but an outward focused church. All of you guys are missionaries. Think about this. If you, if God gave you a job, at, I don't know, Toyota, he's moved here from California. There's Hewlett-Packard here. Wherever you work, he gave you that job, right? And he placed you in there. You're the Christian. If you don't reach them, who will? He sent you there. <laughs> he sent you there. Don't look to the other Christians around because you don't know what kind of Christians they are. But Jesus sent you there so that you can reach them. And at house church, it's so easy to do. You say, hey, come over to my house. Come over to my friend's house. We're gonna have a meal and share life. Easy. You don't have to say, come to church. At my church, it's hard. You say, come to Chinese Baptist church. They're like, no, I'm not going. Let alone church, Chinese, forget about it. But when we say, come to my house, people come. You know, right now we have some Koreans in our church. <laughs> And we get them through the house church. They will never come back. You know, one, one Korean American told me, I said, because they come for like Amazon and things like that, right? Seattle, there's Boeing, Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, you know, those things. So they, they come from, you know, Korean American culture. And so I asked them, so like, when your parents ask you what church you go to, what do you tell them? <laughs> Some of you laughing already. And they say, I tell them Chinese Baptist Church and the parents get surprised. 
Like, why are you going to Chinese, you know, Jungukyoe, right? Like, how many of you go to Nigerian Baptist Church? Let's be honest. How many of you go look for Nigerian Baptist Church? You won't. <laughs> but we have Koreans, and we can have all kinds of ethnicity, not because we invite them to this building, but we invite them into our lives, into the house churches. Unless you have Forest Community Church on top of your door, <laughs> You just simply invite them to your house. Man, what an awesome way to do evangelism. You should thank Pastor Paul, man, for transitioning. We have not many baptisms, but we have baptisms. They didn't know Jesus at all, came to the house churches. What a beautiful picture that is. So Pastor Paul's job is to make sure you're doing the work of ministry. If Doesn't that sound weird? That's his job. So let me ask the church the question. Who's supposed to do the ministry? Me. You. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That is so weird, right? Because we're never told that. We're never taught that, actually. And ultimately, there's a purpose for this. Paul says in verse 13, when you do the work of the ministry and you do it until we all reach unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. If you don't do it, you're not going to be mature. This church will not be mature. And then he goes on here in verse 14, then no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the ways, blown here and there. It's the only way to do it. You got to be the church that Jesus wants you to be. And if this, and you're not even that many people, honestly. Like if every single person, if you don't have 100% participation, Pastor Paul, you need to have 100%. I mean, at my church is hard, harder because we have, you know, about 350 and then, you know, the age, every single one of you are very capable here. I look very, you know, 30, 40, maybe 50 Highly capable people. No excuse not to, really. At Archer, it's a little bit harder, a little bit more challenging. Pastor Paul, do you have 100% here? Yeah. He didn't say anything, by the way. 100%. If you join a house church and you commit to a house church, it will be 100%. 100%. And the shepherds, you need to make sure your sheep stands on their own. That's your job. <laughs> Not Pastor Paul's job. Your job. So let me wrap this up, folks. And then if you look at verse 15, so we walk in unity, live in unity, FCC life. You work as a team. Pastor Paul has his job, duty, responsibility, which is to make sure you're doing the work of the ministry. You commit to do the work of the ministry. You start standing on your own. You teach other people to stand. And then lastly, Paul says here in verse 16 that we ought to grow. We will grow. We will grow. And then what? It builds itself up in love. And going back one verse, he says all this is done in the context of truth in love. Right? A community that embraces truth Right now, I'm telling you the truth from God's word, even though you don't want to hear it necessarily. But I hope that you feel like I do care about you, and I know Pastor Paul loves you all. He loves every single one of you. 
that this church, the context of growth and maturity, I hope and pray, will be founded on the truth of the word of God and also in the context of love, love. So I wanna encourage this congregation, as, as tough as that is, because that means you're gonna to have to give up your golf games. That means sometimes you're gonna to have to skip your vacation. I'm not saying all the time. And that means sometimes you can't give these excuses anymore. Well, I gotta go out with my buddy, so I'm not gonna show up to house church. <laughs> no, you commit. If you want this church to be the church that Jesus intended it to be, Please work with Pastor Paul. Work with him. He's not your enemy. He's he not there to just constantly, you know, say chansuri, as they say, right? We, who likes chansuri? Like complaints. Do this, do that. Nobody likes that. I don't even like it. Even when my family still does it to me, I don't like it, you know? And then I do it to my kids. <laughs> work with him. He's a gift to your church. He's not your enemy. He's not an entertainer. <laughs> He's a gift, God-given gift. So please work with him. Let him do his job, which is to make sure you're prepared and equipped to do your job. And all this for the glory of God. All this for actually your sake. The more you stand, the more mature you become. And the more mature this church becomes. And maybe in five, 10 years, I come back and this place is packed out, at least in your new location. Because every single member is doing what they're supposed to do and not just Pastor Paul and his wife. That's a dysfunctional church. So shepherd, you gotta step it up too, okay? All the shepherds. Pastor Paul needs to pray, step up his prayer life for you. <laughs> pay the price, as we say at our church. Shepherd, you pay the price. You serve your flock. You protect them. You pray for them. You nurture them. You embrace them. And you pay the heavy price of Christianity. Jesus taught us Christian ministry is one thing, folks. It's a ministry of giving yourself away for the benefit of others. Tough. Shepherd, you got to give your life away for the flock. So I don't know what happens after sermon, but I want to just spend maybe a few minutes just to pray. Without prayer, we can do nothing. And I want those of you who have just been sitting on the sideline, yeah, I called you out today. Tough, tough luck, because I ain't going to be here. <laughs> you get mad at Pastor Paul, that's fine. I called you out today. No more sitting and soaking and relaxing and asking everybody to serve you hand and feet. But if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, get, become a Christian. And if you're a Christian, then you need to have some meeting with Pastor Paul and get plugged in, and you need to stand. You need to start standing on your own. However the Holy Spirit convicted you in those five areas, wherever your weakness is, offer it up to the Lord. Tell him, Lord, I've been lazy. I've been a consumer Christian, shallow Christian. Church has always been about me. It hasn't been about you. It's not about others. Lord, put in my heart a heart of service to serve with joy, be willing to sacrifice, to pay the heavy price, to give myself away for your glory and for the benefit of those brothers and sisters in my church. Pastor Paul, wouldn't that be a, such a beautiful church? Every member, 120 or whatever member you got, committed to just serving each other. And we say in our church, don't come to CBC to be served, wrong place. 
you come here to serve. And when every member serves, every member will be served. So folks, pray, serve, commit to a devotional life. I am sick and tired of people saying, I'm not being fed at your church. What do you want me to do? Shove the Bible in your mouth? Feed yourself. Read. So now, Pastor Paul, they're going to appreciate your sermon. You're not nicer than me. A lot nicer, right? (laughs) Read the Bible. Pray. People come to me for counseling. The first thing I ask them is, what does your devotional life look like? When is the last time you cracked open the Bible? When's the last time you actually got on your knees and cried out to God? And usually the answer is, I don't remember. So folks, commit to that if you're not doing it. And then become a worshiper of God with your life. Don't compartmentalize. I lived here. I know that's so easy to do. Don't compartmentalize. Give it all to God. Lay it all on the altar of Christ, at the foot of the cross. Give it to him. Living sacrifice. And commit to get to know your brothers and sisters. Ask them. Pray for them. Have a concern. And then lastly, most important, most difficult, you are the missionaries. Go make disciples of all nations. Okay? All right, let's pray.